Chapter One of the Gifts of the Child Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Gifts of the Child Christ by George MacDonald. Chapter One. My hearers, we grow old, said the preacher be it summer or be it spring with us now autumn will soon settle down into winter that winter whose snow melts only in the grave the wind of the world sets for the tomb some of us rejoice to be swept along on its swift wings and hear it bellowing in the hollows of earth and sky but it will grow a terror to the man of trembling limb and withered brain until at length he will long for the shelter of the tomb to escape its roaring and buffeting happy the man who shall then be able to believe that old age itself with its pitiable decays and sad dreams of youth is the chastening of the lord a sure sign of his love and his fatherhood it was the first sunday in advent but the chastening of the lord came into almost every sermon that man preached eloquent but after all can this kind of thing be true said to himself a man of about thirty who sat decorously listening for many years he had thought he believed this kind of thing but of late he was not so sure beside him sat his wife in her new winter bonnet her pretty face turned up toward the preacher but her eyes nothing else revealed that she was not listening she was much younger than her husband hardly twenty indeed in the upper corner of the pew sat a pale-faced child about five sucking her thumb and staring at the preacher the sermon over they walked home in proximity the husband looked gloomy and his eyes sought the ground the wife looked more smiling than cheerful and her pretty eyes went hither and thither behind them walked the child steadily with level fronting eyelids it was a late-built region of large commonplace houses and at one of them they stopped and entered the door of the dining-room was open showing the table laid for their sunday dinner the gentleman passed on to the library behind it the lady went up to her bedroom and the child a stage higher to the nursery it wanted half an hour to dinner mr gratorick sat down drummed with his fingers on the arm of his easy chair took up a book of arctic exploration threw it again on the table got up and went to the smoking-room he had built it for his wife's sake but was often glad of it for his own again he seated himself took a cigar and smoked gloomily having reached her bedroom mrs gratorix took off her bonnet and stood for ten minutes turning it round and round earnestly she regarded it now gave a twist to the wire stem of a flower then spread wider the loop of a bow she was meditating what it lacked of perfection rather than brooding over its merits she was keen in bonnets little sophie or as she called herself by a transposition of consonant sounds common with children fozy found her nurse alice in the nursery but she was lost in the pages of a certain london weekly which had found her in a mood open to its influences and did not even look up when the child entered with some effort fozy drew off her gloves and with more difficulty untied her hat then she took off her jacket smoothed her hair and retreated to a corner there a large shabby doll lay upon her little chair she took it up disposed it gently upon the bed seated herself in its place 
got a little book from where she had left it under the chair, smoothed down her skirts, and began simultaneously to read and suck her thumb. The book was an unhealthy one, a cup filled to the brim with a poverty-stricken and selfish religion. Such are always breaking out, like an eruption here and there, over the body of the church, doing their part, doubtless, in carrying off the evil humors generated by poverty of blood, or the congestion of self-preservation. It is wonderful out of what spoiled fruit some children will suck sweetness. But she did not read far. Her thoughts went back to a phrase which had haunted her ever since she first went to church. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I wish he would chasten me, she thought for the hundredth time. The small Christian had no suspicion that her whole life had been a period of chastening, that few children, indeed, had to live in such a sunless atmosphere as hers. Alice threw down the newspaper, gazed from the window into the back yard of the next house, saw nothing but an elderly man-servant brushing a garment, and turned upon Sophie. "'Why don't you hang up your jacket, miss?' she said sharply. The little one rose, opened the wardrobe door wide, carried a chair to it, fetched her jacket from the bed, clambered up on the chair, and, leaning far forward to reach a peg, tumbled right into the bottom of the wardrobe. "'You clumsy!' exclaimed the nurse angrily, and pulling her out by the arm, shook her. Alice was not generally rough to her, but there were reasons today. Fozy crept back to her seat, pale, frightened, and a little hurt. Alice hung up the jacket, closed the wardrobe, and turning, contemplated her own pretty face and neat figure in the glass opposite. The dinner bell rang. There, I declare, she cried, and wheeled round on Fozy. And your hair is not brushed yet, miss. Will you ever learn to do a thing without being told it? Thank goodness I shan't be plagued with you long, but I pity her as comes after me. I do. If the Lord would but chasten me, said the child to herself, as she rose and laid down her book with a sigh. The maid seized her roughly by the arm, and brushed her hair with an angry haste that made the child's eyes water, and herself feel a little ashamed at the sight of them. How could anybody love such a troublesome chit, she said, seeking the comfort of justification from the child herself. Another sigh was the poor little damsel's only answer. She looked very white and solemn as she entered the dining room. Mr. Gratorix was a merchant in the city, but he was much more of a man than a merchant, which all merchants are not. Also, he was more scrupulous in his dealings than some merchants in the same line of business, who yet stood as well with the world as he. But, on the other hand, he had the meanness to pride himself upon it, as if it had been something he might have done without, and yet held up his head. Some six years before, he had married to please his parents, and a year before, he had married to please himself. His first wife had intellect, education, and heart, but little individuality, not enough to reflect the individuality of her husband. The consequence was, he found her uninteresting. He was kind and indulgent, however, and not even her best friend blamed him much for manifesting nothing beyond the average devotion of husbands. But in truth, his wife had great capabilities, only they had never ripened, and when she died, a fortnight after giving birth to Sophie, her husband had not a suspicion of the large amount of undeveloped power that had passed away with her. 
her child was so like her both in countenance and manner that he was too constantly reminded of her unlamented mother and he loved neither enough to discover that in a sense as true as marvellous the child was the very flower-bud of her mother's nature in which her retarded blossom had yet a chance of being slowly carried to perfection love alone gives insight and the father took her merely for a miniature edition of the volume which he seemed to have laid aside forever in the dust of the earth's lumber room instead therefore of watering the roots of his little human slip from the well of his affections he had scarcely as yet perceived more in relation to her than that he was legally accountable for her existence and bound to give her shelter and food if he had questioned himself on the matter he would have replied that love was not wanting only waiting upon her growth and the development of something to interest him little right as he had had to expect anything from his first marriage he had yet cherished some hopes therein tolerably vague it is true yet hardly faint enough it would seem for he was disappointed in them when its bonds fell from him however he flattered himself that he had not worn them in vain but had through them arrived at a knowledge of women as rare as profound but whatever the reach of this knowledge it was not sufficient to prevent him from harboring the presumptuous hope of so choosing and so fashioning the heart and mind of a woman that they should be as concave mirrors to his own i do not mean that he would have admitted the figure but such was really the end he blindly sought i wonder how many of those who have been disappointed in such an attempt have been thereby aroused to the perception of what a frightful failure their success would have been on both sides it was bad enough that augustus gratorix's theories had cramped his own development it would have been tenfold worse had they been operative to the stunting of another soul letty merriweather was the daughter of a bishop in partibus she had been born tolerably innocent had grown up more than tolerably pretty and was when she came to england at the age of sixteen as nearly a genuine example of locke's sheet of a white paper as could well have fallen to the hand of such an experimenter as gratorix would fain become in his suit he had prospered perhaps too easily he loved the girl or at least loved the modified reflection of her in his own mind while she thoroughly admiring the dignity good looks and accomplishments of the man whose attentions flattered her self-opinion accorded him deference enough to encourage his vainest hopes although she knew little fluttering over the merest surfaces of existence she had sense enough to know that he talked sense to her and foolishness enough to put it down to her own credit while for the sense itself she cared little or nothing and gratorix without even knowing what she was rough-hewn for would take upon him to shape her ends an ambition the divinity never permits to succeed he who fancies himself the carver finds himself but the chisel or indeed perhaps only the mallet in the hand of the true workman during the days of his courtship then letty listened and smiled or answered with what he took for a spiritual response when it was merely a brain echo looking down into the pond of her being whose surface was not yet rippled by a bubbling of springs from below he saw the reflection of himself and was satisfied an able man on his hobby looks a centaur of wisdom and folly but if he be at all a wise man the beast will one day or other show him the jade's favor of unseating him
Meantime, Augustus Gratorix was fooled, not by poor little Letty, who was not capable of fooling him, but by himself. Letty had made no pretenses, had been interested, and had shown her interest, had understood, or seemed to understand, what he said to her, and forgotten it the next moment, had no pocket to put it in, did not know what to do with it, and let it drop into the limbo of vanity. They had not been married many days, before the scouts of advancing disappointment were upon them. Augustus resisted manfully for a time, but the truth was, each of the two had to become a great deal more than either was, before any approach to unity was possible. He tried to interest her in one subject after another, tried her first, I am ashamed to say, with political economy. In that instance, when he came home to dinner, he found that she had not got beyond the first page of the book he had left her. But she had the best of excuses, namely, that of that page, she had not understood a sentence. He saw his mistake, and tried her with poetry. But Milton, with whom unfortunately he commenced his approaches, was to her, if not equally unintelligible, equally uninteresting. He tried her next with the elements of science, but with no better success. He returned to poetry, and read some of the fairy queen with her. She was, or seemed to be, interested in all his talk about it, and inclined to go on with it in his absence, but found the first stanza she tried more than enough without him to give life to it. She could give it none, and therefore it gave her none. I believe she read a chapter of the Bible every day, but the only books she read, with any real interest, were novels of a sort that Augustus despised. It never occurred to him that he ought at once to have made friends of this momus of unrighteousness, for by them he might have found entrance to the sealed chamber. He ought to have read with her the books she liked, for by them only could he make her think, and from them alone could he lead her to better. It is but from the very step upon which one stands that one can move to the next. Besides these books, there was nothing in her scheme of the universe but fashion, dress, calls, the park, other peopledom, concerts, plays, church-going. Whatever could show itself on the frosted glass of her camera obscura, make an interest of motion and color in her darkened chamber. Without these, her bosom's mistress would have found life unendurable, for not yet had she ascended her throne, but lay on the floor of her nursery, surrounded with toys that imitated life. No wonder, therefore, that Augustus was at length compelled to allow himself disappointment. That it was the fault of his self-confidence made the thing no whit better. He was too much of a man to not cherish a certain tenderness for her, but he soon found to his dismay that it had begun to be mingled with a shadow of contempt. Against this he struggled, but with fluctuating success. He stopped later and later at business, and when he came home, spent more and more of his time in the smoking room, where by and by he had bookshelves put up. Occasionally he would accept an invitation to dinner and accompany his wife, but he detested evening parties, and when Letty, who never refused an invitation if she could help it, went to one, he remained at home with his books. But his power of reading began to diminish he became restless and irritable. Something kept gnawing at his heart. There was a sore spot in it. The spot grew larger and larger, and by degrees, the center of his consciousness came to be a soreness. 
his cherished idea had been fooled he had taken a silly girl for a woman of undeveloped wealth a bubble a surface whereon fair colors chased each other for a hearted crystal on her part letty too had a grief which unlike augustus she did not keep to herself receiving in return from more than one of her friends the soothing assurance that augustus was only like all other men that women were but their toys which they cast away when weary of them letty did not see that she was herself making a toy of her life or that augustus was right in refusing to play with such a costly and delicate thing neither did augustus see that having by his own blunder married a mere child he was bound to deal with her as one and not let the child suffer for his fault more than what could not be helped it is not by pressing our insights upon them but by bathing the sealed eyelids of the human kittens that we can help them and all the time poor little fozy was left to the care of alice a clever careless good-hearted self-satisfied damsel who although seldom so rough in her behavior as we have just seen her abandoned the child almost entirely to her own resources it was often she sat alone in the nursery wishing the lord would chasten her because then he would love her the first course was nearly over ere augustus had brought himself to ask what did you think of the sermon today letty not much answered letty i am not fond of finery i prefer simplicity augustus held his peace bitterly for it was just finery in a sermon without knowing it that letty was fond of what seemed to him a flimsy syllabub of sacred things beaten up with a whisk of composition was charming to letty while on the contrary if a man such as they had been listening to what was carried away by the thoughts that struggled in him for utterance the result to her judgment was finery and the object display in excuse it must be remembered that she had been used to her father's style which no one could have aspired with lack of sobriety presently she spoke again gus dear could you make up your mind for once to go with me to lady ashdale's to-morrow i am getting quite ashamed of appearing so often without you there is another way of avoiding that unpleasantness remarked her husband dryly you cruel creature returned letty playfully but i must go this once for i promised mrs holden you know letty said her husband after a little pause it gets of more and more consequence that you should not fatigue yourself by keeping such late hours in such stifling rooms you are endangering two lives remember that letty if you stay at home to-morrow i will come home early and read to you all evening gussie that would be charming you know there is nothing in the world i should enjoy so much but this time i really mustn't she launched into a list of all the great nobodies and small somebodies who were to be there and whom she positively must see it might be her only chance those last words quenched a sarcasm on augustus's lips he was kinder than usual the rest of the evening and read her to sleep with the pilgrim's progress fozy sat in a corner listened and understood or where she misunderstood it was an honest misunderstanding which never does much hurt neither father nor mother spoke to her till they bade her good night neither saw the hungry heart under the mask of the still face the father never imagined her already fit for the modeling she was better without 
and the stepmother had to become a mother before she could value her. Fozzy went to bed to dream of the Valley of Humiliation. End of chapter 1